Welcome to A Higher Education, a podcast production of the Association for Christians in Student Development. ACSD is committed to assisting student affairs professionals to stay current and relevant in the quickly changing climate of higher education, and in particular, Christian higher education. Join us as we share the perspectives and stories of student development professionals who sit at the intersection of Christian faith and higher education. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of A Higher Education. We are excited to have you joining us uh, once again. My name is Mark and I'm grateful to be your co-host. Uh, and with me is my other co-host as always, Kara. Kara, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great. Happy to have a sunny afternoon here in Newburgh. Yeah, we actually had a really nice February sunny day here in Illinois as well. So got to go to a nature preserve and really enjoy the time. So even though we're recording this in February, not sure when it's going to be out, but my guess is it's probably going to land when it's like sunny and warm every day. But right now it's great just to have those like moments of sunshine. Love it. Can't wait. Uh, Today, we're excited to get going with our guest for today. Uh, And our guest is Alex. Uh, And Alex, I want to turn it over to you just to introduce yourself uh, and share just a little bit about what you do uh, and where you get to work uh, in your your career. Yeah, well, hey, guys. Uh, My name is Alex Stopp. I get to serve as the Director of Student Engagement at Lee University in Southeast Tennessee, uh, the good old town of Cleveland. We like to call it Cleve Vegas because it's that (laughs) fun. Um, I have gotten to serve in this role for about two years, almost. It'll be two years this summer. Um, But I've gotten to spend some time in a whole lot of areas across student life, um, from first-year programs, helping with our first-year seminar course and peer leadership and new student orientation. And I actually started way back in the day as a resident director, um, which I fondly love my res life days. But I've been at Lee for most of that time. I was a transfer student during my undergrad, transferred my sophomore year, um, and have gotten stuck here. No, I'm just kidding. I haven't been stuck. <laughs> I've enjoyed it here ever since. So um, that's kind of my experience in student life, student development in a nutshell. That's great. So how long all told then uh, in years have you been at Lee? You're asking me to date myself. I know. Um, uh, in total, I came in fall of 2014 as a student, graduated in 17. And so almost nine years, it'll be nine years, I guess, total this fall which is crazy to think about, almost a decade. Yeah, wild. That's absolutely wild. And we're excited to have Alex on because as many of us know, the work of student development is so varied and uh, we get to all enjoy different aspects of the work of developing students. Some of us work in the dorms, some of us work in campus programs, some of us work in chapel ministries and spiritual formation efforts. And so there's this unique aspect that I think most college students are drawn towards, which is the sense of their campus life. And I get the sense mm-hmm. from a, you know our friendship, Alex, that that's something you're passionate about. So we're really yeah. excited to hear a little bit more about that uh, from you tonight. Yeah, I one thing I didn't mention, we get to help take part in everything from new student orientation when students arrive to campus events and activities. Um, we get to take part in leadership development, um, kind of intertwined through all of those things. And so we we love it and getting to see kind of the bookends of the Lee experience and the college experience as a whole and and really trying to be the glue across the institution to to help students integrate their experiences. Yeah, Alex, I'm I'm excited to get to know you. This is the first that I've met you, but every Lee grad that I've met, I've really enjoyed interacting with. I get to work with two Lee grads here at George Fox and enjoy both of them uh, a lot. So I'm excited to dive into this interview. They're good but people. First, 
<laughs> they are. They're such good people. Um, so first, our listeners will know this at this point, um, but we like to kind of warm you up with some hard-hitting, quick questions. So this is our speed round, and we start with it. Let's do uh, it. All right, here we go. Are you a Coke person or a Pepsi person? Oh, I'm neither. I don't do pop. I'm from Northwest Ohio, so it's pop. Uh, water, <laughs> water or coffee? Like Good half answer. of our like half of our listeners probably just turned it off when you said pop. <laughs> so like, I, can, I can no longer trust this podcast. <laughs> That's great. Um, our next question, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Contrary to popular belief, I lean a little bit more introverted. Um, I can switch the extrovert switch on as a lot of us student development folks can, but definitely introvert. How about oceans or mountains? Mountains for sure. I'm not a beach person. Love the mountains. The, 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 the real answer is both. Like there are places <laughs> in the world where there's both and that's that's the best part. Um, are you audiobooks or physical books? Physical books, for sure. I write in my books, which may also send everyone else off the podcast. Uh, but I, I love the tangible writing in the books. That's awesome. My wife was borrowing one of my books to read, and she asked me a question that I like didn't know was a question. She was like, now, are you the type of person who cares about your books? And I was like, <laughs> I mean, of course, I have literal bookshelves of them. But what she meant was, can she like break the binding and like <laughs> wrap it around itself to hold it with one hand? And I just, I swear, I just looked at her because I could not <laughs> understand someone just abusing a book like that. <laughs> it's so. what books are for, Mark. Come on. That's, oh that's why they're made. <laughs> <laughs> Mark, was that just today? Because I saw her reading one of your books in her B-reel. It was literally today. Yes. Okay. Well, she we was were... holding it very respectfully in the, in the oh. B-reel post. <laughs> Oh, we talked. We made sure that we were on the same literal <laughs> and figurative page about that one. <laughs> okay. Alex, what is your favorite part of the country to visit? Oh, to visit. That's a great question. I love going, a home will always be Northwest Ohio for me. Um, and so I obviously get to live in the mountains here in Southeast Tennessee. And so I love going home to Northwest Ohio, which sounds weird because it's cornfields. Uh, but I love to visit for sure. That's great. What is the academic degree that you are most proud of or identify with the most? As in like the major diploma thing? Yep. Um, I, I'm currently getting to work towards a PhD in educational studies at Purdue University, and I have loved that program. And so I'm not there yet, so I can't claim it quite yet. Sure. Um, but I have really loved that program, and I'm really, I'm really thankful to be a part of the cohort and the group that we're in, um, and it's been a blast. And how much longer do you have in that program? I should graduate, Lord willing, in 2026, I think. Almost there. Almost. <laughs> I think that's my year, too. So I feel that. That's great. We'll walk across together, Kara. Sweet. <laughs> okay, this is a very revealing one. What band or artist was at the top of your Spotify wrapped in 2022? Oh. This is going to be really embarrassing. I Honestly, I forget the band, but the most listened to song <laughs> was Michael W. Smith's Place in This World. So that's a way throwback. <laughs> that was my jam. I didn't know they did Spotify wrapped in 1993. Like, <laughs> that's the unfortunate part is it was literally last year. So Michael W. Smith, Place in This World, for sure. That's great. That was actually my first ever concert was Michael W. Smith in concert. So... Yeah, we're, we're, you're in a good place. 
Um, here's a here's a question that we want just your first instinct gut reaction answer to it. Who is the best boss you've ever had? Uh, Mike Hayes, for sure. Uh, and he's um, been a huge mentor in my life, Dr. Mike Hayes. And where did you work with him? Yes, he was our VP for student development here at Lee for um, well over 25 years. And so I got to work with him really closely as a student leader um, back in the undergraduate days with what was called at the time our Student Leadership Council. Um, and then obviously in the student development world with Res Life and, and most recently jumping into this role. And so he recently left Lee to um, hop into the K-12 world up in a private school in Ohio. All right, similar question. Who's the best coworker you've ever had? Oh, people are going to be so mad at me. <laughs> um, my first, like, resident directors are, are big roles, but my first, like, director role um, was first-year programs. And it was a lot. I was way too young to start that role. And it was a lot to learn. So I'm prefacing that so I don't make Sarah or Jen feel bad, too. Uh, but Ashley Crass um, was the secretary in the office at the time. We both started at the same time, had a lot to learn at the same time. Uh, and so I have really fond memories of just figuring life and a new professional career out with with Ashley. Yeah, you never forget the people that you've like been in the trenches with. So For that, sure. That totally makes sense. And we ask that question because we want to stir up a little drama when we go into the office tomorrow. I know. Uh, we're going to keep that one. I'm not going to send the podcast to anyone. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, regardless of where you live currently or where you're from, what would you say is your city, the place that you have the most identity, pride, or association? Uh, this is going to sound weird because I've only been there twice, but I love Washington, D.C. It's my favorite city. I was a history major in undergrad, and so okay. I nerd out every time I go and get to visit all the monuments. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, there's cities that I have so much like association with that I've only been to a few times or like I've never actually lived. So it's always fascinating just to hear what people like associate with or where they really like have a sense of connection. Alex, what's your favorite annual holiday? Ooh, I'm a Christmas person for sure, but not a Christmas before Thanksgiving person. Like I love Christmas and want to appreciate it, but we got to enjoy Thanksgiving first. You are losing listeners left and right. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's gone at this point. We can talk about whatever we want. It's just the three of us. That's it. <laughs> All right. Uh, our last question in the speed round. What feelings do you have about being on a podcast? Uh uh, terrifying is the first feeling that comes to mind. Very nervous, but really excited too and honored to be here. Um, I really respect and admire both of you guys from afar. So it's a joy to have the conversation. Well, we're glad to have you. All right. So we generally jump in with just a series of questions. Our listeners are probably getting used to some of these. Uh, we may go off script a little bit from the usual ones they've heard because we try to tailor each of these interviews a little bit to each of the people that we are talking with. So we've got a couple things specifically that we want to chat with you about. But kind of the question we want to begin with is regardless of what first drew you to this field or to this work of student development, what's one of your first memories of a time in student development role where you really felt like uh, your deep gladness met the world's deep hunger? That's a really great question. And it, I spent a lot of time thinking about it because there are so many memories, even just over, you know, six or seven years working professionally in this space. 
Um, I, I would say what comes to mind most is actually part of my undergrad experience when I got to work with our student leadership council and kind of bring to life um, a long-term goal that we talked about for years and years, even a decade before I came to Lee. Um, and it was a thing called the Justice Tour. Uh, and it was an opportunity for one of those alternative spring break trips um, for a group of about a dozen of us students um, to plan a trip and to go on a trip by ourselves in the big wide world. Uh, and so we first took a trip down to Atlanta to the King Center and she got to visit uh, the Ebenezer Baptist Church, which is where uh, Martin Luther King um, pastored for several years, where his father was a pastor. Uh, and then we made our way over to Alabama and Montgomery and Birmingham, um, went to visit some key civil rights sites through there, and then ended our trip in Memphis um, at the National Civil Rights Museum, which is incredible if you haven't gone. Um, shameless plug for, uh, for that. But looking back at that experience, there was so much in our planning process and kind of the dreaming and the vision. Uh, we were a bunch of broke college kids. We had no idea how we were gonna make it work, but we put our heads together, fundraised. Um, we wanted to bring in a really like intentional learning aspect. And so we had a committee at the time called the Student Learning Committee um, as part of our organization. They actually designed and modeled a lot of reflection groups and things like that to talk through. And it was a really incredible experience. Um, and I think at that time, um, getting to, to see and value justice as a foundational mm -hmm. component. Um, as a white kid from Podunk, Northwest Ohio, it, it hadn't necessarily been confronted in those ways before. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was so challenging, but also so transformative in my own picture um, and ideas, but then also getting to do that with my peers and understanding that that's what college is about. And we learned, yes, a whole lot in the classroom, um, but we we're also able to connect and learn a whole lot about the student development side of things as well. And that was a lot, largely thanks to the guidance and support of mentors and encouragers along the way too. That sounds like such a unique opportunity. Maybe I missed it, but did you say, was that as part of your history program or was that more of a co-curricular type of trip? Great question. It, it was co and extracurricular. So it wasn't necessarily program oriented. It was something that in SLC, the Student Leadership Council, we um, kind of put our heads together and tried to figure out. That's really cool. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, on to maybe some of the more difficult memories of your career. Can you tell us about one of the more significant challenges that you faced uh, in your professional career and what helped you persevere through that? And what have you taken away from it? I'll save everyone the COVID talk um, because that <laughs> was obviously my first thought. Um, but I'm actually thinking back to when I was brand spanking new to the world of higher ed um, and even res life. I, one of the things that I wasn't involved in undergrad was res life. And so jumping into an RD role was brand new for me and learning um, a, a lot of the curve that went with that. But I started off as a resident director in a non-traditional community, which was really challenging for me because I was coming off fresh, a really integrated experience thanks to, to mentors and supporters in my life. Um, and I was stepping into a non-traditional community that hadn't gotten a lot of institutional attention um, for decades. Um, and, you know, part of that is largely because um, that's not where the awesome stuff, fun, giant events ha happen, but it's where really meaningful connections and transformation happened. 
But during that time, I really dealt with a lot of imposter syndrome. Um, Shauna, my wife and I weren't married quite yet. And so we were engaged, but it was that weird time of life, not feeling like I fit. And so I remember really distinct moments where I was just like, I don't even think higher ed is for me. I don't even think this resident director thing is for me. Um, and, and working through that imposter syndrome. And really, I think one of the biggest things that helped push me along through it were the consistent reminders of people in my life. One, telling me to get out of my head um, and, and reminding me that there is value, but also people who challenged me um, to ask if, if you're feeling this way as a resident director, imagine how some of your students feel. Maybe they have felt overlooked. Maybe they need deep cultivation in their lives with, with connection. Um, and that empathy, I think, really challenged me um, and pushed me towards um, to, towards acting and connecting with those, those students. Um, and it, you know, it was an incredibly diverse community. It was, uh, fresh married couples. It was old married couples, um, some grad students, international students. It, it was really a melting pot in a lot of ways. And I couldn't have thought of a better way now looking back of a better way to start my career. But at that time it was so challenging, um, cause I was not only hitting that learning curve, but also, um, really diving into that imposter syndrome. Well, the good news is imposter syndrome goes away, like after your first role totally. professionally. Yeah. So <laughs> never have experienced, <laughs> never have experienced imposter syndrome since. Right. Yeah. That's absolutely. a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what are some of the things that maybe helped you specifically with imposter syndrome? Because we know a lot of our listeners are, are some of the younger professionals who are maybe entering into this uh, space as maybe their first career, first job out of college. And let's be honest, I mean, all of us experience that sense of, do I belong here? Do I have what it takes? What are some of the things specifically that maybe helped you with that, that you look back on now and you were grateful for that you'd love to point other people towards? Oh, that's a really great question. I, I think one of the most significant things for me was actually voicing that I was experiencing imposter syndrome and that it was a reality in my life. Because um, I think a lot of times we want to ignore it and act like, we have imposter syndrome about our imposter syndrome. <laughs> um, and so I think voicing it to really trusted friends and community members, and then at, a, at an appropriate time and inappropriate spaces, being willing to share that with, with even the students that I got to walk alongside and saying like, hey, I know you're probably struggling in classes right now. I'm struggling too. How can, how can we walk through this together and recognize that there's beauty both in the really good moments, but also in these really tough moments together as well. So I think voicing it and being honest, and then also um, inviting those that are ahead of me on the path, but also those that might be beside or, or behind on the path as well. Yeah, I love that. I think just naming it really helps. Um, yeah. You know, starting in my new role this past year, uh, taking a step into the VP level, there were a number of moments where I was like pausing in the bathroom before stepping into a <laughs> meeting, and I'm like hands on my knees just being like, breathe, you got this. <laughs> and I think like, you you often look at others, we all do it, right? And we just assume they belong here, I don't. They know what they're doing, I don't. And we would all be better served if we could just acknowledge that all of us are a little freaked out every single day. <laughs> amen, amen. Yeah, so I know that you and I share some, uh, I think all three of us, uh, I know you and I have talked about it briefly, but all three of us share a particular like love for nerding out over student development theory. Uh, and I think we all probably have uh, enough that we could talk about to fill the rest of the time, but we won't bore our listeners, the three that are still left. Um, 
But what tell me tell us a little bit about what that looks like for you, how theory has informed what you do on a day to day basis and just why that matters so much to you. Yeah, I could nerd out the rest of the time. So one of you guys has to throw something at the screen to wake me up. But uh, I'll try to keep it short. And and I think theory, first and foremost, has helped me make sense of my own college experience. Because I think a lot of times the expectation is great. We got the students graduated, they're gone, and they're developed, right? That's what we hope. But that development happens so much after the college experience, too. And so it's helped me make sense of my own experience. And that's one of the reasons that I really try to also share theory when appropriate with students that I get to walk alongside as well so that they have those tools in their tool belt um, as they graduate or as they look towards graduation to reflect on those experiences. One of the most significant ideas that I have really loved and every chance I get, I just want to share it with people is Marsha Backstrom Golda's theory of self-authorship. And I've loved that in our context, um, Mike Hayes, who I mentioned earlier, uh, really challenged us to think of that not so much as just self-authorship, but co-authorship on two levels within our communities, but also with a really wonderful God who authors great stories. Um, and, and I go back to that so often because there's so many components, right, of the interpersonal connections of the cognitive development and also the in inter or intrapersonal connections as well, right? Like how do we develop and grow on all of those fronts? Um, but one of my favorite aspects of that theory is um, Baxter Magolda's good company idea, um, where she talks about riding the tandem bicycle. And I've not ridden yet a tandem bicycle in my life, but it's my dream before I die, I have to <laughs> ride a tandem bicycle. Um, but uh, that vision and that idea of getting to ride in the backseat and provide encouragement and support and forward motion to students as they get to steer. And sometimes they steer us off a cliff, but that's okay because we're at the bottom of that cliff sorting it out together. And sometimes uh, the bridge is out, like we don't expect and we have to take another route or sometimes we just go in circles, whatever that is. I think it's a really wonderful metaphor for the college experience um, that's really touched me as well that I've really loved. So I'll shut up now if you guys have follow-up questions or other ideas. Oh, I just want to make one comment before Kara takes over. I love that. And it reminds me of what uh, Dan Allender in his book, To Be Told, talks about. Mm, amen. Um, yeah, I'm just reading that right now. Uh, I read it before college, actually, and missed a whole bunch of stuff because I was like 15 <laughs> and just not not catching it. Um, but I love that metaphor. Uh, that That's super helpful. Kara, it's all you. All right, so now that you've described to us, you know, why the passion behind higher ed theory, uh, we're going to ask you to come up with your own theory based on how you see the uh, the whole profession evolving. So it's kind of a two-parter. The first asks you to reflect on the past. How have you seen the field of student development change over the course of your career? That's a really great question. And I I know that's within the context of my career still being relatively short um, and, and fresh in some ways. But I think over the past five years, obviously COVID has been the impact. I mentioned that earlier, but with that too, there's been that side-by-side -side pandemic of the great resignation that is very interrelated, but also I think uh, an independent thing in and of itself as a lot of people have left. Um, higher ed and specifically student affairs, because it is hard, right? It is exhausting and tiring, but at the end of the day, the end of the day it's, it's good work. Uh, and so how do we persist and encourage each other in that? And so I think, I think we'll continue to see the effects of the great resignation for years to come, but 
I think most immediately, even in the past three or four years um, of how I've seen the um, the world of higher ed and specifically student development change is um, there's been a changing of the guard in some ways, but also I think there's a great opportunity for intergenerational connections. So it's not just a changing of the guard, but a standing by side by side. Um, and I think we've seen that evident in a lot of ways, um, but I think it's also going to require a lot of creativity and ingenuity um, to, to cling to those great theories of old that I think are foundational and true in a lot of ways, but also allow those to morph and be living and breathing theories um, in and through our practice of how we connect, engage, uh, challenge, and support students as well. Um, I don't even know if that answered your question. I, I feel like I'm so off track now. What am I missing? Oh, that was great. I think of like what you're saying is the new wineskins idea, right? That yeah. a lot of what we do is timeless, but so much of it has to adapt to reflect the generation and the you know demographic that we're serving and the ways that they uniquely look to higher education for what they expect out of it versus what yeah. we're prepared to offer. And that's an iterative process for sure. Yeah. I I love that you just did that, Mark, that I just kind of threw up a bunch of words and then you made it a beautiful new wineskins idea. That that was great. That's just my dissertation method coming through <laughs> when I would just like type a page and then it'd be like, well, I know that eventually someone on my committee is going to make me shart that down to a paragraph. Something will so. happen. I love it. So Alex, the second part of this question, which is really where you get to theorize, is yeah. how do you see the world of student development changing in the future? And what can we as student development professionals do to be prepared for that reality you see coming? Yeah, I got to listen to y'all's first episode, trying to start it at the top. And um, one of the things that you guys talked about in that was the, the impact and onset of Gen Z. Um, and the both the challenges, but also the opportunities that come, I think, with such a passionate and energetic generation. Um, I think they take a lot of flack for um, right being lazy or not wanting to work, but they're so deeply passionate uh, and so deeply motivated. And so how do we capture that, I think, in different ways? And how do we offer, um, just like you guys talked about before, perspectives um, that, yes, career is important, right? Like that's the clear shift that higher ed has been moving towards for a long time and I think is being accelerated now. Um, but how do we offer a, a dynamic perspective that says, yes, like we want you to be a teacher, a nurse, a business person, whatever that is, but we want you to be a great and grounded and Christ enlivened teacher or nurse or business person that, that truly offers not just a perspective of, you know, Jesus can level you up, um, in Christian higher ed, but no, Jesus grounds us and develops us even more further, um, that gives life to our work that when it does get hard, um, we know that there's deep purpose. And so I think with that, um, this is a really terrible broad strokes painting of theory, but I think with that, in that new wineskins ideas, holding on, um, to things like George Ku's high impact practices, those practices are still high impact. Uh, and so how are we creating an environment um, that engages students with those opportunities? Um, and in a new digital, not a new digital age, it's been a digital age for a long time, but with digital natives uh, like Gen Z is, uh, how do we engage students in different ways with those high impact practices um, and allow um, kind of the, the hows and the what's 
to change and to grow, uh, but then how do we maintain that core why through and through as well? That's all so good, and I agree with it. I'm wondering, like you're asking all these good questions of um, how is our how are we going to adapt to this claiming climate around Gen Z? Have you seen any examples, or you know, this is your opportunity to kind of to your own horn if you've done a good example yourself but how have you seen professionals in the last couple of years adapt mm. to meet those same needs that students will have consistently but do it in ways that gen z will receive well that's a yeah that's tough because then you go from the whole theory idea and then you actually have to enact it um, <laughs> i'll start with an observation i think here at Lee, when we started emerging from um, that struggle and challenge of COVID, right, we all went back into our rooms and stayed there, and we connected really deeply with our tribes, right? So then as we start emerging, we still cling to those tribes, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? Those connections are deep and true. Uh, and so I think one of the observations we've seen is first we started to see uh, an explosion in a lot of our student-led clubs and organizations mm -hmm. of recreation clubs which was really interesting i think students just wanted to get outside and connect more intentionally and um, so we had a volleyball club a racquetball club all these different clubs that started mm -hmm. popping up and are really thriving in a lot of ways what i've seen in the past six months or so is an even further rejuvenation from just, yes, let's connect and have fun in those things, right? As we connect with our groups and our crew. Uh, but then a further translation, as we've seen a lot of service clubs kind of reignite in different ways. Obviously service um, and service learning and community engagement was a challenge through COVID. Um, and so there's a natural latent growth there, but I think students are learning to utilize those passions and learning how to channel those passions. And so I think it's important for us as student development um, administrators to create pathways for that to be a lot easier for those students um, and to be really intentional uh, to challenge those students, not just to stay within those tribes, but to continue branching out in different ways uh, and utilizing the directions that students are already moving, um, like recreation clubs or uh, like service organizations, um, so that we continue breaking out of our molds and out of our shelves a little bit more. I hope that was practical enough. Oh, totally. That's awesome. And definitely grounds what you were saying about Gen Z being passionate yeah. and just having to find the right outlets to encourage yeah. that passion. Yeah, I feel like I see stories every day of this generation of kind of the traditional college students, right? Because we want to make sure we acknowledge, too, that college students is not necessarily defined entirely. It's We, we know it's not defined by the 18 to 22-year-old right. range. But when we look at that generation in particular, I just feel like I see every day examples of them completely uh, upending the stereotype that often gets put out there of them being tech addicted, very self-absorbed, unwilling to engage in community. Like they just, they're very focused on what they care about most and don't think outside the box. Like, I, I feel like I see that all the time. Um, you mentioned you're doing your PhD. I think we'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Uh, and then kind of the specific question that I'd love to hear you talk about a lot of people go into PhDs for very different reasons, right? Uh, and I would say in the student development world, this has been my experience anyway. I feel like I hear a lot of people who want to go into it in as student development or student affairs practitioners, either one, because they have a desire to go into senior leadership someday as a VP, uh, or they recognize that they want to be a professor and teach someday. 
So I'm curious what your motivations were, but then also what would you say about the value of a doctoral degree for someone in student development who has no desire to teach or no desire to be senior leadership? Is it a waste of time for them? Is it something you'd recommend? Is it worth the investment? I'm asking for a friend. Her name is Kara. <laughs> She's in that right now. So yeah, I would love to hear you talk a little bit about that. <laughs> well, I'm with you, Kara, no doubt. Um, I, you know, I've struggled, I think, with that question. I love the classroom. I love getting to teach and connect with students in that manner, but I also love, obviously, out of the classroom. I mean, that's all our office does uh, in so many ways, and so that's been a struggle point as I really thought about pursuing that, and I think at the end of the day, um, what I realized is I just love learning like I and that sounds so corny and nerdy and cheesy but I really love learning and I missed the opportunity um, to have really insightful discussion to learn from peers um, and don't get me wrong I love colleagues here at Lee um, and we have such enriching and meaningful and transformative discussions but getting to connect I think with others um, across literally the country through this program has been really impactful um, and and really not just stimulated right my mind but also my practice and and it's really directly impacted the ways um, that I am able to serve students and that includes both in terms of the really intentional program design because it, it largely it's the same skill set right if you're designing a, a class and a syllabus it's what we do in student development as well right it's just it's a co-curricular extracurricular syllabus what do we want students to learn and every yeah. faculty member listening right now was like oh no 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 right it's so different <laughs> If there were any faculty left after the whole pop and Christmas thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, we lost them a while. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and, and so like the work largely gets to be the same. And, and again, that's not to like, you know, bash anyone or anything, but I think seeing that value and that connection is important to, to offer an integrative experience. And so regardless of whether it's faculty or regardless of whether it's administration or regardless of whether I, I get to do what I get to do now and love that, um, you know, a program has really enriched both my thought and also my practice. Um, and it's also given a really good opportunity just to continue loving learning um, and, and not just learning like book smarts, right? Like we can talk about econ and finance all day. I, I don't want to, but we can. <laughs> uh, but uh, much more so of, of just the learning and the growth to better study our students, right? And to be better students of our students. So what I'm hearing is you do it for half you and half your students. Yes, for sure. It's it's largely selfish. I'll be honest about that. <laughs> no, I am agreeing with you. Maybe <laughs> maybe some days the split is is different yes. than 50-50, but that's encouraging because I feel similarly split for those reasons. Yeah. And for sure. being on the other end of it, like I resonate with what you're saying and what, you know, Kara and I have talked about this in separate contexts. Just that love of learning is so important. And I think that's one of the things we joke about faculty, uh, not necessarily giving the full respect to student affairs, but uh, I think that's one of the things that if we as student affairs practitioners can really take seriously, the, the fact that we are co-educators, what we do pairs with what's happening in the classroom. And I really would encourage, whether it's a doctorate, whether it's you know something else, uh, certificates, or just oh, yeah. buying on Amazon the books that have been in your recommendations list that you just haven't pulled the trigger on, and actually spending time reading them to be able to be articulate, uh, to go beyond anecdote, to actually uh, apply some of this stuff that's studied and researched and peer reviewed. I think that's really where we start to gain a lot of credibility in the work that we are doing as co-educators. Yeah, no doubt. 
Okay, so back to our kind of main track of questions. Alex, what advice would current you give to the version of yourself who is just starting out in your mm -hmm. career? I think two things. Um, and one, actually working off of what you guys just mentioned, reminding myself that I get to be an educator. Um, you know, we heard a lot um, that we're just kind of the pizza party throwers and that's fine. But at the end of the day too, I think embrace the role of a pizza party thrower as an educator, right? We're literally offering students bread, right? We're literally mm -hmm. offering them uh, what they need to sustain, even if it's really unhealthy pizza. Um, <laughs> and so I, I think embracing that experience as an educator, um, both in the, the really small events where only three people show up when you were hoping for 30, uh, mm -hmm. and, and also the giant new student orientation events um, that, you know, bring in five, six, 700 students. The second one thing that I think I would say to myself is, is get out of your, get out of your own way. Um, you're your own worst enemy in so many ways. Um, starting professional life is hard, period, regardless mm -hmm. of what industry or world that you step into post-grad. Um, and I think for me, I expected that first job to just be perfect in every way and everything I could have ever hoped for and imagined. Um, but there's also a really long and beautiful and challenging journey ahead uh, that, that I would have liked to remind myself of more often. Mm -hmm. And you started as a student leader, and now you ended up in this career field. I'm curious what advice, if we go back even a little bit further, what advice would you give to the student leader version of yourself that would help you prepare well for this career? Uh, it's a, it's a real career. It's not, a, it's not make believe. <laughs> when I, when I first started even as an RD and, and was thinking about going into higher ed, even as a junior senior in college, um, I still just wanted to do it for a free master so that I could go teach history in the classroom. Um, because I didn't think it was a viable real option. And you get um, to do all those pizza parties that everybody and, says yeah, is great. Yeah. I, I've saved so much money on meals. It's been great. <laughs> Oh, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the things that, you know, uh, both Kara and I are passionate about helping build and develop the future of the, the field yeah. as well. And I, I sense that as we've had conversations as well. And I think that's something that's so cool is to be able to help pitch a vision of both the challenge and the joy of this yeah. this field, especially for students who often don't get a chance to see behind the curtain, as it were, of what it actually looks like. So hopefully uh, we can continue to help with that. Yeah, That's also fascinating that this is something you were considering as a, you said junior, senior in high school? Sorry, no college, junior, senior Oh, college. okay, okay, no. gotcha. High, high school, He's an I overachiever. Even, I, I didn't even know if I was going to college in high school, so <laughs> I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> yeah, I was going to be very impressed by that, but gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. <laughs> All right. Uh, so as we kind of wind down with our time here, we got a few more questions. Uh, what resources would you recommend that every student development professional be engaging with? Be that books, podcasts, hopefully this one, but they're going to be listening to it anyway. So <laughs> it's not necessarily helpful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what would you recommend? First one, for sure, a higher education. Um, shameless plug for this podcast. Thanks for listening. Perfect. Um, I, I thought of this question on a couple of fronts, and, and I think first and foremost are the super, super basics, um, especially for right young, um, upstart, 
student development professionals starting off their careers. Uh, it may seem like too soon or nonsensical to subscribe to things like the Chronicle or Inside Higher Ed. I mean, they're they're so helpful to keep a pulse and to, to understand that things are a lot bigger than just Lee University or Cornerstone or Trinity International or whatever it is. Um, and so on a really basic, simple level, um, just keep your pulse and your thumb on those things and subscribe to those things. You're you're qualified enough to subscribe to those things. Uh, and and I think that's really important. Um, other resources, uh, I, I could spend days probably talking about books that have really impacted me, and maybe that's for a whole nother podcast. But um, I, I want to lean a little bit more so towards the professional connections. And so obviously, um, shameless plug two for ACSD, um, it's been a huge space of restoration for me, being able to connect with uh, people like you guys, uh, people in different learning communities and things like that. That reminds me that I'm not alone and I'm not so crazy for doing this good work. Um, but also looking at professional, other professional organizations too, you know, whether it be ACPA, NASPA, things like that, um, that do connect you and offer diverse experiences and perspectives. Um, you're qualified to be in those spaces, um, no matter what stage you are in your career. And um, just as much as those people can give you, you can also offer them quite a bit as well. I think your first point is so key because if you are a student leader, you obviously only know your context. If you are a young professional, maybe you know your you know, undergrad, alma mater context, and now the context you serve in, which often can be the same. Yeah. And I think your, your point is so key about getting to know that your perception of how to do student development is often very contextually bound. And that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means you know, I knew one way. And that yeah. was the way that Cornerstone did it when I had the majority of my career there. And then you go to a different place and you're like, oh my goodness, like there's different <laughs> ways to do discipline conduct, you know, meetings. Yeah. So there's different ways to approach how we do orientation. And that's such a valuable thing. And I'm grateful, like you said, for the conference, especially yeah. to, to have those times where you know, I think of last summer when we were at IWU, just sitting at a table with you and some of you know, Jared and uh, others from your team where we were just talking about how we do what we do and you learn so much. So I think that's yeah. a really, really uh, good piece of advice. Alex, um, this is your opportunity to just share a cool story, but what's a moment from your career when you got to see the Lord work in a really special way that you'll never forget? Yeah, this is a more uh, recent one, actually, um, just within the past few weeks and months. Um, but obviously, a lot of us have probably heard about the Asbury revival, if you want to call it that, which I think that's an accurate term in so many ways. But um, actually, as, as a result of that, a handful of students here at Lee um, kind of asked the question, why why can't we also pray, right? And and it was a, a really humble way to ask that question. They weren't looking to have what Asbury had by any means. Um, but a few of our students got together and said, we, we wanna pray for this campus and for each other. Uh, and that, that's just so fresh in my mind. Mm -hmm. um, but actually we have a, a chapel, beautiful stone chapel here on campus. And I got to um, go over just for some time to pray over lunch one day, not expecting anything. And there were students in the chapel praying for each other and, and things were just starting off. Um, and it was a really beautiful moment. And then as that kind of grew in so many ways and more faculty and, and staff started to come over, um, that intergenerational support and connection started to happen. And um, the, the prayer of so many of our students has been deep, uh, true healing um, of, of fathers to sons and sons to mothers and mothers to daughters. And, and 
it's just so beautiful and and kind of puts into context to the work that we get to do. Um, it's important, yes, um, and it's part of kingdom work, but there's a whole lot uh, of, of other things that go with kingdom work that we get to be a part of as well. So getting to walk with students through that um, and and try as best as we could to steward that time um, for and with our students was uh, was really, really beautiful. And the, the Lord's hand was at work for sure. That's so good. Yeah. You know, as we've all been watching what's been unfolding there and just even dialing it back for a couple of years, I think you look at the way that this generation is saying we want to take prayer seriously. We want to take justice seriously. We want to take caring well for marginalized communities seriously. And I think you see revival happening in a number of different facets and different perspectives. And uh, as much as there's people who are going to litigate it on Twitter and other places <laughs> and try to figure out if it's authentic or not, uh, I'm grateful to see this generation really leaning in and saying, we're going to we're gonna be bold about how our faith informs the, what we do on a daily basis and, and uh, how we engage with each other. As we wrap up, Alex, uh, just one of the things I've appreciated about, you know, getting to know you over the last couple of years is just you are an encouraging guy. Uh, there's been a couple of times where you've reached out to me knowing some stuff's going on in my career, in my life, and just that's meant so much. And we want to give you an opportunity just to share any word of encouragement that you have for just all of our listeners, everyone who works in this wonderful and crazy and hard, awesome work of student development. Yeah. Over the past nine years or so of getting to be here at Lee, one thing has been so consistent throughout, and it's it's been this work and this message um, from the people that have served me, that I've gotten to serve alongside, uh, and it's a two simple words, you matter. Uh, and each and every day we have the opportunity to help students know that they matter uh, and do that in a way that hopefully helps spur on uh, a whole kind of festival of mattering together um, as they help others do the same. But I would say just to, to colleagues and, and peers um, in this world, uh, as we do that really good work, don't forget that you matter as well, um, that the work that you're doing is good kingdom building work. Um, and you don't matter because of that work, uh, but but you matter because you're a child of God as well, and you are wonderfully made in his image. That's so good. I The Sunday scaries are gone for me now. I'm ready to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for that, Alex. Um, okay. Is there anything you or a friend or a coworker are working on, anything good being put out into the world that our listeners should hear about or any way that our listeners can get in contact with you if they're interested? Yeah, I guess I need to, to step up my uh, publishing game. Uh, I don't <laughs> I don't Bro, have you're in a that, doctorate. So. You're you're doing your doctorate, so I think you're yeah. good. You get a pass for a little bit for not publishing if, anything. If you want to read any of my class papers, you can contact <laughs> me. Uh, my email is a stop a s t a u p at Lee University at edu. Um, I'm also relatively active and and check out LinkedIn quite a lot too. You can find me on there, Alex Stop. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I don't post much, uh, but would love to connect if you ever want to reach out for sure. That's great. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for another great conversation. Uh, thank you, Alex, for your time tonight. Uh, it is just such a blessing to know you, uh, to collaborate with you, even though we are on different campuses. I think that's the beautiful thing about this is we get to be partners uh, in this work together. Um, Kara, any final thoughts as we wrap up? Just want to reemphasize that you matter message. That was cool to hear. Um, I hope our listeners are feeling that as they 
wrap up this podcast and are also able to offer that to the students that they get to serve each day. Amen to that. Thanks, everybody, and have a wonderful day, and we will see you next month. Thanks, guys. This podcast has been a production of the Association for Christians in Student Development. To learn more about ACSD, please visit acsd.org. To contact us, please email scholarship at acsd.org. Thank you.